Welcome in to another episode of Behind the Plate, podcast presented by Baseball America. I am your host, Kyle Glazer. It's very, very good to be back with you all after a week off. We've got a very, very special guest for you today. We are pleased to be joined by Astros Midwest Area Scout, Scott Oberhelman. Scott was the signing scout for Astros right-hander Hunter Brown. Really kind of a, a fun scouting find. Uh, was a Division II pitcher at Wayne State in uh, Detroit, Michigan. By no means a, a baseball power, but... Uh, has emerged uh, through the years, uh, first as one of the top pitching prospects in baseball, and now one of the top rookie pitchers in baseball. Scott was kind enough to join us to talk about Hunter Brown and the scouting process, and also Scott's career. He has a very interesting background. Uh, Scott was a Division three pitcher at Marietta College in Ohio, and during the summers, he actually worked as a scouting intern in the Cape Cod League, first for the Wareham Gateman after his sophomore year as, as a pitcher at Marietta. Uh, was kind of his first foray into scouting. And then after his junior year, uh, he became a scouting intern for the A's, helping them scout the Cape Cod League, continued to work for the A's following his graduation after his senior year, uh, and eventually landed a job with the Astros as their Midwest Area Scout. Side Hunter Brown, as well as third-round pick Jordan Brewer, in his first year as an Area Scout for the Astros that year. And in his third year as an area scout, he won a World Series ring. So a lot of early success for Scott. And uh, he was kind enough today to join us to talk about his journey into scouting and the process of signing Hunter Brown. And we're pleased to be joined now from his home in Columbus, Ohio, Astros Midwest Area Scout, Scott Oberhelman. Scott, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. You know, before we got started here on the podcast, uh, you and I were talking a little bit about You've experienced a lot of things very, very quickly, very early in your scouting career that a lot of scouts sometimes never get to experience or, or take a long time to experience. Uh, your first year as a scout, you signed a player who uh, became your first big leaguer. That was Hunter Brown. Your third year as an area scout, you won a World Series ring. And uh, on the whole, you, you've had a lot of early success. Before we dive into your background a little bit, uh, just what's, what's it been like for you just almost right off the bat, signing an impact big leaguer and winning a World Series ring? Yeah, it's been pretty surreal, right? It's like everything you sort of dream of when you get into it. Um, you know, like five or six years ago, you're just hoping to get into the industry and your dream was at one point in your career to draft somebody to have an opportunity to play in the big leagues and help us win a World Series. And boom, it happens within three to four years and you can't even fathom that it happened that quickly. So you try and stay humble and kind with it all. Try and, you know, remind yourself that a lot of people have worked really hard for this opportunity to be, you know, where I am right now. And doesn't come easy. It's not, you know, don't take it for granted. You know, that's kind of the way I look at it. Yeah, absolutely. So we brought you on today to talk about Hunter Brown, who has obviously become one of the top pitchers in the Astros rotation was a top 100 prospect coming into the year. As we mentioned, was uh, the first pitcher you signed as a scout. Um, but before we talk about Hunter, I want to talk about you and your pitching career. You were a pitcher <laughs> at a division three college in Marietta, Ohio. And this was pretty recent. You graduated in 2018 Give me the scouting report on Scott Oberhelman, the right-handed pitcher. Uh, slow. Didn't throw very hard. Um, low 80s guy, but I was funky. I was a really tough guy to face because I worked off the third base side of the mound and created a lot of angles and deception. And I, I, I knew that I didn't throw hard. I didn't have stuff, but I knew I could be able to be crafty. And I was a pretty smart pitcher. I, I understood how swings worked. I understood what, you know, I took a lot of pride in knowing what other hitters did, what their strengths were, what their weaknesses were. And, tried to use my strengths to their weaknesses. And that's kind of how I went about it. I wasn't anything sexy. I definitely was not like the guy that threw hard and couldn't throw strikes. I threw a ton of strikes, made you guys get out. Um, that was kind of my game plan, but you know, nothing crazy. 
you know what though? You had a pretty good career. I went 12 and five, a three, five, three ERA, uh, part of the rotation or final two seasons. You know, a lot of guys who play D2, D3 baseball, NAI that know that they're not going to get drafted. They still try and chase the dream a little bit. They try and go find an independent league to play in. Was that ever a consideration for you or after you, you finished your senior year where you like, I'm, I'm good. I'm done. Yeah, no, I was, I was good. Like I, my arm was hurting there at the end, and you know, I I knew I got everything out. I squeezed every ounce of my ability out. Um, I was happy. I was fine. You know, I really enjoyed. You know, up to that point, actually in college, I was doing internships, and I really enjoyed my time doing all that. And I was really excited for that next step. Yeah, so I want to talk about that internship. You were a PD and scouting intern in the Cape Cod League uh, mm-hmm. during the, your summer after your sophomore year. What was that like, you know, being an active player, but at the same time, you're a scouting intern in the Cape Cod League watching, you know, the best of the best players in Division One who, who are going to get drafted the next year? Yeah, so actually my first internship was with Wareham, with uh, Wareham Gateman, and that was the year when, um, you know, Joey Bart was up there, Casey Mize, Gavin Sheets, and I was a sophomore, just got done with my sophomore year, and we're all the same age, you know, we're all hanging out and whatnot, and you're just like, wow, like these guys are so much better. That's kind of when I realized, like, this isn't, yeah, I'm not going to play professionally. I'm going to have to figure something else to do with my life. And, um, but yeah, the internship part, you know, as you know, any internship is, you know, you're wearing so many different hats and you're underneath so many different umbrellas. You know, you're the guy who's feeding the, you know, the balls in the machine, you're helping out coaching. Um, you know, you're doing, you know, analytic stuff, you're doing video stuff. We got to do some scouting stuff as well and all the way down to the grounds crew thing. And so when you came out of that internship, you, I had a really good feeling or a good idea of what I really wanted to do. And that was scouting and, pursue that as you know quickly as I could and get to the next step but it was awesome being around those guys you just learned so much I just remember like Casey Mize teaching me some some of the like slider stuff you know you just learn so much being around those guys and being around them every single day yeah so in terms of the scouting side of that you mentioned doing some video scouting doing some in-person work as well is that where you kind of learned how to write a report what you're looking for I mean and also were there other veteran scouts there to take you under their wing and show you the ropes hundred percent. Yeah. Well, when I was with Wareham, there was like, I think three or four of us that were in that internship. And one of my uh, good friends still to this day, Cam Murphy with the Pittsburgh Pirates, he was there as well. And, you know, we were two young kids still in college, sophomores, like we didn't know what we were doing. We were given um, from our general manager, a, a stack of papers that were from the scout school of like how to scout, how to go about it. And we were just reading it every single night, trying to figure it out the next day at the game, how to apply it. But there were a ton of scouts up there. I think that's the best part about the Cape Cod League. If you're a young kid up there trying to learn how to scout, every single day there's just there's you can meet so many new uh, different scouts up there that are willing to learn and teach you some things. And if you go about it the right way, you know it's a great industry to get into because people are willing to pass down that information. Older scouts are always eager to give down information to other guys if you're if you're if you do it the right way. Were there any older scouts in particular that you really gelled with and really helped you out? Yeah, well, when I got to Oakland. You know, I got to work with them up in the Cape. Ron Vaughn was the Northeast scout up there. And Michael Holmes, who was our assistant scouting director at the time, you now the scouting director of San Fran, he, he linked me up with Ronnie pretty quick. And he was like, talk to this guy. He, he's been doing it for a while. And Ronnie's notoriously known for being the guy that turned Mark McGuire into a hitter. And, um, you know, I, I just sat around him every single second I could. I didn't have enough ink in my pen sometimes to write everything down that he was saying. But you know, you, you just try to learn as much as you could, as quickly as you could and apply it as fast as you possibly could. And um, he was he was awesome. He's still a mentor to this day. There's so many people that, you know, fit that boat, though, that were up there that helped me to get to the next step that I was at. 
Yeah, you mentioned that job with the A's. You were that uh, PD and scouting intern with Wareham, went back for your junior year. After your junior year, you got a scouting internship with the A's. Were you mainly doing Cape Cod League stuff during that internship? Yeah, that's, so yeah, I, I went, I, I got done with college and, you know, or like done with the uh, college season, I would go right up to the Cape and, you know, go up there. And so I was responsible for scouting the whole league for all 10 teams, getting as much video as you could on all these guys up there. But, um, yeah, I was with Oakland for uh, those two summers and awesome, awesome, uh, you know, opportunity for me. You know, these guys were so welcoming and guys like Matt, like Mark Sauer and so many other guys that were able to help me get to the next step. But they, they taught me so many things and Oakland gave me the first opportunity. I'm forever indebted to, you know, guys like Eric Kubota and Michael Holmes and everybody like that that gave me the chance to learn. But, you know, it was great. It was awesome. How did you end up securing that internship? Was it through your time with Wareham? So when I was in Wareham, there were a couple of, you know, like I was saying, like every single day you go to a game, there, it seemed like there were just new scouts, you know, when I was with Wareham. But then like near the end of the year, you're like, kept seeing like these same scouts that were kind of like our age. I'm like, who are these people? And you start talking to them and it's like, oh, it's like they're with the Boston Red Sox. They're with the New York Yankees or like they're with the Dodgers. And you're like, oh, wow, like that's a good idea. Like they have interns up here that they probably groom and they teach and, you know, they get information for them and they get, you know, the Cape Cod, you know, it's a great league. And I was like, the smaller market teams should be doing that. Like, you know, these smaller teams that should be attacking this league, I feel like, and, you know, using it as a, you know, an in to like develop their own scouts. And so I sold that idea and pitched that to every single team that I could. And Oakland was the one team that, like oh this is a good idea and Holmes he had an idea of doing something like this he just didn't have a guy in mind at the time and it was a perfect combination where I was looking to get in they were looking for a guy what a bang what a boom I got lucky so it's interesting it's not like it was a job that existed it was a job you kind of created yeah I I spent all fall sending emails every single day to anybody that was willing to listen to me and um, luckily, like I said, I got through on Eric. Eric had a connection with Jerry Weinstein, who was the manager of the Wareham team at the time. And, you know, Eric called Weinstein and Jerry was like, yeah, he's good. And then Holmes, he gave me an interview and you know, that's how it worked out. So I got really lucky with all of that. Yeah. That second time through the Cape Cod League, what were some of the things that you were able to build on from your previous experience as a PD and scouting intern with Wareham? <clears throat> I think the biggest thing was just like, knowing a little bit more, you know, just like wh where to go, like where's all the games, like how does this league work? I think that was like the most important thing because I hit the ground running. I didn't know what I was still doing at that point. I didn't have a lot of scout, but I think the biggest thing for me was just being able to talk to like guys with Oakland. They were open and willing to talk to me and teach me some more things. But, you know, honestly, going in that year, I didn't, I didn't know what I was going to, I didn't know how to do it. I didn't, I didn't know. And, but, you know, I, I was listening to some of the other people that have done been on this podcast, and I forget who it was. The guy with the Diamondbacks out in the Pacific Northwest, uh, um, Dan Ramsey. Yeah, he talked about like every single day you get better. I, every single day in the in the Cape, I could literally feel myself getting better at my job. Was I anywhere close to where I am today? No, like I was, I was still lost in a lot of ways. But every single day, you try to get better. You try to learn something new. You know, I took a lot of pride in showing up three, four, five like, hours early just to get to know like all the coaches, the players and watch batting practice. You know, that's what, that's what I did. I went up there and I grinded. I tried to learn as much as I could and I wasn't going to let this opportunity go away. And you know, I had a, I had an opportunity to get in. I'm not going to you know, close that door. That was the way I took it. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned you felt yourself getting better and better each day. What did you feel yourself specifically getting better at? Just like a, 
like watching, like your eyes just get, you know, trained a little bit more, you get a little bit more comfortable, you know, all those other scouts that I would talk to, they would talk about just creating your old decks and just adding to it. And like up there in the Cape, there's so many players in the beginning that file through and you're like, okay, these guys look different. They probably should stay. And like, you just started learning like who were the good players, who weren't the good players, what was going to work, what wasn't going to work. You just started seeing things and trends. I think that was the biggest thing that I, I started noticing. And you just started developing your own habits and your traits of what you liked as a scout as well. Like, oh, this guy's pretty good. I, I like th these are the type of guys I like. You, know, you just started picking things up, right? Yeah, absolutely. So you finish up that summer. You still have your senior year ahead of you. You go back, <laughs> uh, have your best season. I have to ask, did you take some of the things that you learned about other players from scouting and incorporate them into your own game to, to make you a better player? Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, like, because, like, when you're at that, like, when you're up in the Cape, these players are all, like, they're all so good. It's It starts to be, like, the little things right there. Well, you know, the farther down you go in the levels, the it's easier to identify some of these issues or problems that are within a swing or whatever. So you watch batting practice of ball and walls, you know, the team that we play, and you're like, oh, well, like, you know, we can get this guy out if we just do X, Y, and Z. And you just started getting more comfortable, like I said, with identifying things and watching players, what's going to work, what's not going to work. And, you know, you just, be I became like a little bit more of a coach. I felt like on the field as a player, as opposed to a player. And that, that just helped me so much. Yeah. I mean, you had your best season that year as a senior, you mentioned you'd kind of caught the scouting bug after the year time working for Wareham, working with the A's. What did you go do, you know, after your senior year wrapped up, what was your process and what was your path after that? I actually, I actually went back for one more summer. So I worked with uh, Oakland for two summers up there. So I graduated college and I went up there again for that, um, my second summer. So I did that from May until August. I was doing that one more time with Oakland. So I got to see like the Michael Bushes of the world. And, you know, I think Torkelson was up there that year. So got to see that one more year of having, adding to my role next. Yeah. So you finish up that second summer with the A's. Then what happened? Because you had a little bit of a gap. You finished up, you know, August 2018. You got hired on by the Astros December 2018. What were you doing those four months in between? So whenever my internship ended, um, my Cape Cod internship, I got a call from Eric Kubota at the end of August. And he's like, hey, we got an intern. We got an area job open up in the Midwest. Um, I think it'd be good for you to, you know, interview, go through the process. But, you know, he was very blunt. He's like, I don't know if this is going to be, you know, don't want to get hopes up. Like we're probably not going to hire you, but I think it'd be good for you to go forward. If you got another opportunity, this way you're not a deer in the headlights if it does come up. So yeah, I was pumped. I was eager. I went in there. I was going to like, you know, make it as hard as I could on them. And I, I felt like I did. Obviously I didn't get the job there. Um, I was really upset, disappointed, but I knew kind of like I probably wasn't going to get it. But um, Eric told me we were, really, we were really impressed with you and we thought you did a really good job, but you know, we're going to go a different direction, but we want to keep you on board. Um, stay up in the Northeast, live at home. Cause I'm a Jersey kid actually. So um, they gave me the opportunity to stay home in, in New Jersey. And I got to work with Ronnie Vaughn, get to see what a fall was like um, basically as associate um, internship. They were creating a new job. I forget what it was called, but it was a, you know, like a scouting internship learning development program that they were making. And um, I was one of the first ones. So they kept me up there in the Northeast, worked with Ronnie, um, and then in January, um, that I saw this posting for the Houston Astros online and, um, my would be area, I mean, my would be cross checker, if I got in that job in the Midwest was Mark Adair and he used to work with Houston. So reached out to him, asked him who should I contact? 
and he gave me Chris Gross's number and the rest is history on that front. Yeah. What was that process like interviewing with, with the Astros and ultimately landing the job? It was fun. I mean, shoot, I was still 22, you know, like let's, let's call it what it is. Like 20, a lot of 22 year olds don't get hired to run an area. Right. So, you know, I just a couple months ago, I was still in school pitching and now I'm trying to get a job here. Um, but I will say like going through the Oakland process, going through that interview process was, was crucial for me. That helped me so much. And, um, you know, I was still nervous, no doubt, but, um, it, it helped me a lot going through that. But, you know, the guys in Houston are so easy going. Chris is such an easy guy. Evan Brandon was such an easy guy. Gavin Dickey was quick and short to the point. I didn't think I got it. I didn't think I was going to get the job after talking to Gavin, but he was, you know, that's what he was looking for, I guess. So, um, you know, it, it was, it was kind of, I don't want to say easy, but it was, you know, a fun process. So you're 22 years old, less than a year out of college, you get the phone call. We're hiring you to be our Midwest area scout. You're living in Jersey. You have to get out somewhere in the Midwest. I mean, just what was that like for you? Just that, you know, your life. I mean, hey, I was pumped, right? Like, you know, that was my dream, actually. You know, um, I, that's what I wanted to do. And so I remember when Chris called me, and I, I was so excited. I was so pumped up, and you know, couldn't believe that I got the opportunity. But I, I wasn't going to let him down. That was the way I was thinking about it the entire time. But. I had family in the Midwest, so I, I, I kind of was like, I don't know where I'm going to live, but went out and lived with my grandma, actually, for, I think, the first two or three years of my my uh, area scout career. So um, that helped a lot, you know, just having you know her out there, knowing, you know, the landscape for the most part. Cincinnati was where I was living, so it gave me a good middle point, but um, pumped was, that was the way I felt. Yeah. So you, you mentioned you move in with your grandma and, and that's something a lot of scouts talk about is they make some sacrifices, you know, not a lot of people in their young twenties, fresh out of college want to move in with their grandparents, but it was a sacrifice you had to make to, to make the job work. Yeah. I mean, it, it was a blessing in disguise in some ways because I did that first year. I, I didn't have enough money to go do all these things, you know, get an apartment. I was never home, but like the blessing in disguise part is COVID hit and, you know, my, my grandma, you know, older, like, was she couldn't go out and do stuff like that so it was a blessing in disguise that i got to spend time with her and um, we had a great relationship before then and it just made it better so um yeah it was it was it was a good situation all along so you're a jersey kid your scouting experience has been the northeast the cape cod league you're plumped in the middle of the midwest with a territory that spans from western new york all the way down to kentucky all the way out to michigan i mean it's an entirely new region a lot of states you, you don't know anything about landscape you don't know anything about how was that learning curve? Um, yeah, I mean, so being in Ohio, I went to school in Ohio, so that helped a little bit. You know, I had a little bit of an idea of like, uh, you know, where certain things were, where certain cities were. Um, but, you know, right away when I got the job, I called a handful of the area scouts in the area that I knew that were legends in the area. Rich Sparks with Oakland had already built the relationship with, with, with working with Oakland. So called him right away. And then I called Michael Gibbons with the Yankees and, you know, told him I got the job as well. And Ed Santa with the Rockies. I mean, these guys have been doing the area for 30 years. So like I knew like those were the people I had to talk to right away. They can drive to anywhere in the, in their area without a GPS because they had to do that back in the day. Right. So I was going to like talk to those guys and surround myself with them. And, and um, yeah, so yeah, it was a little bit, you know, chasing, you know, I felt like I was, you know, always chasing something in that first year, but um, over time you just get more comfortable. Right. And you just, that's how it worked. So your first year on the job as full-time area scout is 2019. You get hired out of the fall and right away there's 
some prospects to be found, particularly in Michigan. Uh, Jordan Brewer, who was eventually the Astros' third-round pick that year, you were his signing scout. And, of course, Hunter Brown, who was at Division II Wayne State uh, out in Detroit, you were his signing scout as well. How did you end up kind of funneling over there and, and, and becoming such a prominent you know, scout for those two guys? So I, I got hired in January um, and didn't really get to the area until February, just how it works out. But, like, um, it kind of goes back a little bit to – like you just kind of go up there. Number one, you just go up there and you just figure it out. Right. Like you just go, Hey, these are the teams. Like I got a lot, like a, a list of players that I need to go see and just, all right, we're going to go scout them. All right. Like I got a radar gun that I just told, go figure them out. Just go, go see them. And so you just kind of get in, immersed into the area. You start talking to people and you start hearing names and that's kind of how, you know, it came about with Hunter. But when I was, when I was at Marietta, we would always go down to Florida for spring break and, you know, we would always, um, you know, be at the Snowbird Classic or the, the Rust Mat Invitational, and you'd get the book of all the teams that would be there. And it's like, oh, wow, these are really good teams, you know, and Division Two teams, powerhouse teams. Ashlands are playing off against Seton Hill. We were playing Keystones, like all these really good schools. And so when I got the job and I started making my schedule, I was like, I'm going down there. I'm going to book off that week, and I'm going to go and try and see all those smaller D2, D3 schools because – I knew that there were good players there. I just didn't know where they were, who they were. I didn't know where they were at. Yeah, so th that leads us into the first time you saw Hunter Brown. When was the first time you saw Hunter? First time was that spring break, spring break week on a Thursday at 7 o'clock at Kissimmee. Uh, they were playing Notre Dame College. I'll never forget that day. So, yeah, that's the first time I ever got to see him. And what caught your eye? Uh, 94, 96 with a power slider. You know, like you got to go down to the bullpen and you, got to get up pretty close to him. You're like, wow, this guy's a pretty big kid. You know, it's coming out pretty good. And uh, let's see how it looks in the game. Let's see if he doesn't – hopefully he doesn't walk five. You know, like that, I feel like that happens a lot. We go to a lot of games and we're like, oh, that guy looks the part. And then he goes down and he walks five or six. Nah. But he, he was dominant that day. I mean, he struck out nine, I think, over five or six frames. And, you know, it, you're just – you're walking away. You're like, wow, this guy's pretty good. I don't – are all the D2 guys like this? Like, you know, so um, – made an impression right away, you know, no doubt. Yeah. You, you mentioned having that Rolodex of guys, obviously seeing the Casey Mize as the world, seeing the guys who are the big, you know, kind of the big dogs in D1. And sometimes it can be tough to kind of calibrate. Okay. Yeah. This guy looks great in D2, but the caliber of competition he's facing isn't great. Having that Rolodex from the Cape, did that help you kind of put Hunter into context of, Hey, like this, this body, this stuff, this kind of fits. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Like I think the year before that or two years before that, I got to see like, like the Logan Gilberts of the world or, you know, it's like some of those guys and you're like, I mean, yeah, like he's a little bit more raw than Logan, but like it's coming out just as hot as those guys or, you know, the stuff is just as good as those guys. So yeah, it helped for sure to compare those other players I saw on the Cape to you know Hunter and put them on a little bit more of an eating playing field. And then I have to ask, did anything from your experience as a pitcher apply in terms of what you were seeing and how you're evaluating Hunter and, and frankly, the other pitchers you were seeing? Um, not not too much no i mean like because for me actually it's funny like i'm 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 a power pitcher guy like I, I love watching guys that just get after it and like good old country hardball you know i have some giddy up to the fastball i was nowhere near that maybe that's because i couldn't do that maybe that's why i'm attracted to those guys but um yeah not for the most part but it, it definitely you play the game as well. Like when they're going through things, you're like, Oh, I know it. I know that feeling of like going through that situation. Like things aren't going well. Like, and you know, it just seems like everything keeps coming. Oh, okay. I know that feeling. But. 
So see him down there over spring break in Florida. How many times did you follow up with him once you got back to your territory and he was back up pitching at Wayne State? So we this was back when um, you know we didn't have a lot of area scouts at that time. Remember, like this is kind of like in prime time. Uh, you know, we only had probably around eleven guys on staff or twelve guys on staff at that time. So. I think the running joke was just like, if I went and saw a guy twice, like I was, I was in, like I was, I was on it. And um, I went back a week or two, whenever I went back up to the area, a week or two later, I went and saw him again. And I was like, I gotta, you know, I gotta bear down here. I gotta figure this one out. And you know, went down to the bullpen, watched him, you know, intently, just wanted to see how he went about his business. You know, how serious was he about all this? And I remember talking to a couple of parents and like trying to like gather as much information as I could. And, um, he threw well that day and I, I left there. I'm like, yep, I'm good. Like, um, we got it. I, I'm not saying like I got him figured out, but like, I don't have enough days to go back and go see him again. Everybody else needs to go in and file in and go see him. And, um, yeah, that, that's, that's that spring. Yeah. I mean, so once you decide you were in it, you mentioned the Astros were really, really limited at that point in terms of the number of scouts, cross checkers, et cetera. I wrote an article about this last year, how, how lean things were at that time and how it's built up back more now. I mean, how much were you able to, you know, convince your, your cross checkers, Hey, come see him. I mean, how many people really wanted to see him? Cause your staff was just so limited at that time. Yeah. So the first time when I was down in Florida, that was like, what was, this is kind of where you're like, wow, I can't believe this actually happened. I can't believe they trusted me. It was, I remember I saw him on Thursday. I saw Evan Brandon, who was my cross check at the time on Friday. And I was like, Hey man, like that kid is pretty good. Like that Hunter Brown kid, he's pretty good. And he's like, all right, well, when's he going to throw again? And I'm like, I think he's going to throw on Tuesday. I got to do something on Tuesday in Miami. And I'm like, I think, I think you need to see this guy. Like I, I really do. Like I'm, I'm telling you, I think you need to go see him. And he goes, all right, all right I'll, I'll try and work it in. And he went and saw him and he's like, Whoa, we got they've got a live one here. Like we got something. I'm like, yeah, I, th- I I thought so. Like, and then after that point, you know, we were able to, you know, get a bunch of guys in there. So I would say like almost everybody got to see him. Um, you know, so it wasn't we 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 were, we were able to see him. We definitely got to see him multiple times. That's for sure. Yeah, your memory is pretty good. I went back and just pulled up the box score that uh, that out against Notre Dame College. Six innings, six hits, two runs, two walks, nine strikeouts. And then that game where your cross checker Evan Brandon went to see him that following Tuesday. Five innings, four hits, no word runs allowed, eight strikeouts. It's always nice when the guy you recommend pitches or, or plays well because there's plenty of times you you vouch for a guy and then. Of course, when your superiors run in, he has the worst day of his career. So it, it always it's nice when the guy performs. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. That's the biggest fear in this industry sometimes. So, Yeah. So, I mean, right off the bat, you identified a guy pretty quickly. Your superiors are in on it. Momentum is building. You, said, you mentioned you weren't able to get back to, and see him a lot through the course of the year just because you had such a wide territory that the personnel were so limited. How does that initial interest turned into we're drafting this guy. What was that process like and how involved were you in that decision down, you know, throughout the spring? Um, so like at that time, like you, like I didn't get to go see him, but like, you know, we're, we're following box scores, you know, like every single weekend. It's like, well, how do you do? And like, you know, like I said, every single weekend, it seemed like we had somebody going in there and like every time somebody went in there, it, it was good. So you're like, Oh wow, this is like, gaining momentum and the stocks keep going up and up and up. And you're like, okay, like this is, this is going to happen. Like, you know, and I remember when we got into the draft room, like, all right, like he's in a really good spot. Like, we, you know, this isn't a good opportunity for us. Like if it all works out, it could happen. But um, 
Yeah, I, I felt pretty good about it, but like, you know, you know how draft day is. There's so many things that have to go and bounce your way to have it. And um, yeah, that's, I, I felt pretty good about it though going into the draft. Yeah. How much interaction did you have with him in terms of meeting him, meeting his family? And, and what was that process like of kind of digging into the makeup, if you will? <clears throat> so like meeting him and like talking to him, like in his family, like, cause he's a college guy. You really don't get to talk to his family that much, that whole much, but like, and like that was back when the draft was in June. So like you didn't really get a whole lot of time to meet with these guys and whatnot. But I remember talking to like trying to talk to as many people around that program as I could. So whenever you were at the game, like, you know, whether it was athletic trainer, whether it was parents and whatnot, I remember hearing some stories like, yeah, I mean, like a couple a couple of years ago in high school, he's working in construction. I'm like, what in the world? Like this guy is working construction. I'm like this guy's this guy's tough. Like this guy's a greedy guy. So um, you kind of like start piecing it all together and you're like. Oh wow! Like this is going to be pretty. This is going to be pretty special. This kid's a tough kid. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, draft day comes around. The Astros select him in the fifth round. Were you in the room? Did you get to make the phone call? What What was your part in that? Yeah, I was in the room. I remember when we drafted him, and you know, Chris turned around with the magnet. I was like, "Holy crap! Like I can't believe we're we got this guy in the fifth round. Like what a pick! Like this is going to be exciting." Um, you know, the way I sold it the entire time, like he's going to throw really hard. He's got a really good slider, you know, there's reliever risk, no doubt, but you know, it's going to, he's got a good arm. Um, and then we took him obviously. And I called him right away and, you know, he was pumped up. I can remember hearing in the background, like everybody cheering and whatnot. And I, I, I think he was shocked as well. So it was, that's the best part about this job is that moment you take them, you get to see the magnet come off the board. We put it on our board and, and then you get the opportunity to go call the kid and, there's nothing better. You're literally making somebody's life and their dreams come true. So you mentioned kind of the selling point was the arm strength, fastball slider. There, there was some relief risk and that kind of followed him up a little bit, really uh, in some ways up until this year. The other part of this is, you know, he is pitching against division two competition and sometimes it can be hard to translate. Okay. What is this going to mean against forget division one competition, professional yep. competition. How did you kind of work through that? And what was that, that process like where you had some conviction that it would work? Yeah, I think like it's a little bit easier, obviously with the pitchers as opposed to hitters. Hitters are sometimes like, well, it's, you know, they're facing that competition where pitchers you can, oh, this stuff's going to play, you know, no matter what. And that, that's kind of my gut feel the entire time was like, this is like, the stuff is just so good here that like, I think it's going to play no matter what. It was always just a matter of, can he be around the strike zone enough and be in the rectangle enough times to, you know, have the ability to start. And that was always the question for me. I never left the game where I was like, I don't know if he's going to be able to get enough people out. Like, I don't know if he's going to be able to strike it. You know, it was always like, I just hope he doesn't walk too many guys. I hope he doesn't, you know, that was always my concern. So um, that's kind of how I balanced it for the most part. When you guys did draft him, what did you think kind of the, the split was in terms of start relief chance? Um, I remember writing in my report, I said something along the lines of, you know, there's two to num there's number two, number three starter upside here with like reliever risk. That, that's kind of how I left it. So, um, you know, a flip of a coin, it was kind of the way I was looking at it. Like you might, if it clicks, you, you got something special, but if it doesn't, you got a potential like late inning, you know, fireballer coming out of the pen. As soon as he got into pro ball, pitched briefly, then COVID hit, missed 2020. But I remember pretty quickly, 2021, his name really started to come up as, you know, hey, this is a guy with a really, really good arm, someone that the stuff is absolutely going to play at this level. We just have to see how 
secondary development comes along and, and really just the, the control, fastball command, all those things. But pretty quickly, he was starting to generate some buzz and, and do some good things, especially the fact that he was one of the very first guys you signed. How much were you tracking what he was doing? Because you, you still have to run your area. You still have to do what you're doing on the amateur side. But, but how much were you able to track what he was doing? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I was locked in every single time. Just because, like, for me, I remember in COVID, um, there was a point where, like, he, they, he, like, made, like, his own strike zones. Like, he, he had, like, he had every excuse to make. And he... He was making his own strike zone. He was finding like dumbbells and like weights, like all over the place. I was like, this is going to work. Like he's going to figure it out. Like he's working hard enough to do it. And so like at that point I was like, it's just a matter of time before it all clicks. And so every single start I was, you know, locked in with the box score, just seeing it. Cause it was just exciting. Like you didn't know what he was going to do every single night. He might strike out you know, 13. He might, you know, he might, he might give up a couple runs here and there. I don't know, but like, it's going to be exciting either way. Yeah, I remember that 2021, I ranked him one of the uh, top 10 prospects in the Pacific Coast League. Even though the walk rate was a little high, I thought it was interesting how you know, he started the year in double A, which, again, tremendously impressive. First full season, you know, COVID or not, starts in double A as a Division II pitcher, makes his way up to triple A. And, and the walk rate got better at triple A, which I thought was really interesting. And you know, that was kind of a common theme with him was it kept getting a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better. And I remember circling back at the start of 2022 at Sugarland. They talked about, you know, the fastball command. It just, there were still start relief questions, but it was trending in the right direction consistently. I think, I think a lot of that was, you know, obviously PD helped, you know, the, you know, our pitching development is outstanding and they, they helped a lot on that front. I think a lot of it also was like Hunter started to realize that he was good enough. Like he was, his stuff was good enough to play in zone and like it was good enough to work. And so I think he started trusting it enough that. Here, I just here's my fastball. It's 97. Try and hit it. I dare you, type of thing. So, um, yeah, I, I think he just started trusting his stuff enough, and you know, just started going after it a little bit more. Absolutely. So he has a really, really good season, 2022 at Sugarland. There's kind of this sense, hey, you know, he's probably going to get called up. The team is is making its way toward another postseason run. Comes up and his first major league start in September. Goes out and throws six scoreless innings. I have to ask, where were you when he made his major league debut and uh, how pumped were you when that happened? Yeah, I, I, so it was Labor Day, I think. I think it was on Labor Day. And so I was still – I was in Ohio, and um, I was at home and uh, watched it on TV, and my wife and I were there watching it. So, yeah, I was – it was exciting. And there was a time where, like, he was – it was like, yeah, he's going to start this day, and he didn't start. Oh, he's going to come out of the bullpen, and he didn't come out of the bullpen. You're like, what's going on here? So then he got that start relief i guess was a little bit of it like when he got done you're like oh my god he made it through like he, okay perfect it felt like i feel like a parent like watching like, that's kind of how it feels honestly so but i was able to get to his next one up there in detroit um that was his second career start i was able to get to that one i do have to ask that first career start you mentioned watch like a parent first career ab is facing marcus simeon one of the best players in baseball strikes him out looking uh did you yell did you scream did oh. you get <laughs> what was that like Oh yeah. I, yeah, I was jumping up and down. My wife was like, Oh my God, you're going crazy. I'm like, yeah, I know. This is unbelievable. This is what you dreamed of. Like, this is, it finally came true. Like, this is, this is so cool for him. Like, this is unbelievable. Um, just so happy for him and all the work that he put in and you know, everything that you thought it's like showing up and you're like, Oh my gosh, like I'm watching it on TV. Like, I can't believe it. So. Yeah. 
And then, hey, next batter struck out Corey Seager. Pretty, <laughs> pretty, pretty good start to his career. I'm sure uh, you were, uh, you were, you were definitely happy that day. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of it also was because like you're following it along, you know, like via like you know all the trackman data that we're getting, you know, and you're like he's going to make some noise when he gets there. Like people are going to be like amazed that he's throwing a 94 mile an hour slider. So like, it was just exciting that like he was doing it and showcasing it. And you just kind of had a feeling that people were going to go pretty excited, get excited about it. Yeah, absolutely. goes out, has two really good starts, wins both of his first two career starts, shifts into the bullpen, helps the Astros get to the World Series. I thought it was really telling that they carried him on the postseason roster. A lot of times September call-ups, you know, you, you come up, you just kind of are giving the starters a breather. Um, they carried him all the way through, and I, I thought that was very telling about how important they, they thought he was to the franchise. Again, just as you were kind of watching it, as a member of the organization with a lot riding on this, just what was it like for you, again, seeing him on a World Series roster when, you know, he's still going to be rookie eligible the following season? Yeah, so I think the, the best part of it all was um, my wife and I, we got to go to every single World Series game. And so... Um, that was that was a lot of fun and then when we won it we got to go down in the field and after and like we're down there on the field and I got to see him we got to take a picture and uh, that that was kind of like oh my god like this is this is what you do this for this is why you 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 drive all those miles in the midwest and you do 40,000 miles and you stay in all those hotels for this right here and you just tried to soak it all in and like that was pretty cool because I remember when he we, we took a picture and whatever and he's like Dude, what do what do I do? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> so that that was that was a dream come true. That was like the peak, you know. Like I hit it. I was like, wow, this is this is. I want to do this every single year that I can. And obviously, you know, it's it's tough, but you know, and I understand that. But and but it was it was the coolest moment so far in my life. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, uh, what was it like uh, when you got your World Series ring? And I should ask, where, when and where did you get it? Um. Oh yeah, we got to go. They brought us down, and so um, they did everything first class. That was, you know, it was awesome. They brought us down. Um, they got us on the field. They had um, a whole ring presentation and everything. They brought up the entire staff down, and um, we got it right after the opening uh, homestand. And um, that's when I got it. Now, like, where is it at? It's, it's a funny story. It's it's at my wife's in law. It's in my in laws' house. Um, it's in their safe, so it's the greatest collateral, I guess, damage that I could, they have on me. So, um, but yeah, that thing's too big. I can't wear that thing. Right I'm not one of the, I'm not a ring guy. I'm not a jewelry guy. So, you mentioned. I mean, that's just a, a pinnacle moment right there. You're on the field. Your team wins the World Series. The guy you signed, you know, your first year as a scout, is on the World Series roster. You get to take a picture with him on the field. There's still more to come because coming into the following year here, now 2023. Hunter was considered one of the top rookies coming to the into the year. We had him as, as a top 50 overall prospect for us here at Baseball America on the BA Top 100. There were still some start relief questions. Again, he came up, started those first two games, moved into the bullpen down the stretch. You mentioned you thought it might have been a coin flip when you first drafted him. Coming into this year, what was your conviction level that, yes, he will move into this rotation and he will stay in this rotation? I felt pretty good about it just because like I got to see what he did in triple a, like I just like watching it from afar. I was like, he can start, like he, he can do it. Like he just, you know, he's just got to get the opportunity. And, you know, we, we have one of the toughest rotations at the beginning of the year to get into. And you know, luckily some injuries, you know, for him, it worked out for him to get that opportunity. But I, I, I felt pretty good. Like if he had the opportunity, you know, he, he was going to take it. Like he's that kind of guy. He's tough. He's gritty. He wants that opportunity. He wants to go out there and, take the ball and go multiple innings at a time. So 
I felt pretty good. I was like, he just needs a shot. He just needs a chance. He just needs the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And he's certainly taken it. Uh, he's uh, so far been really a, a, a savior in some ways from the middle of that Astros rotation. Obviously, Framber Valdez and Christian Javier have done their job, but things have been a little dicey behind them. He's really, really stepped up. Uh, as of this recording, 6-4, and 3-6-2 RRA, and 15 starts. Uh, I wrote about today, actually, in, in a rookie write-up. Uh, he's gone at least seven innings, more than Garrett Cole, more than Shane McClanahan, more than a lot of guys who are in AL Slang Award contention. And and part of that is he's kept the walk rate down. His walks are 3.1 per nine, which is what it was last year. Again, you, you talked about the questions, you know, the stuff is electric. Is he going to throw enough strikes? It just kept getting better and better. And now he's throwing strikes and, and pitching deep into games. You know, the stuff a front of rotation type of starter does. Yeah, I, I, I think a lot of that goes back to his makeup. I think that goes back to who he is. You know, I, I remember talking with uh, Bill Murphy, who's our um, now he's our bullpen coach, but he used to be our pitching coordinator. And you know, we we talked at one point, like, you know, you know, what what, what are some like qualities that you look for, and like some of these, you know, like you know, what are our better pitchers doing? It's the guys that are intently focused, like in bullpens and trying to get better consistently every single day and catch play and like their process and what. And Hunter's that guy, like he said, like, he's like one of our best guys doing like with that attribute. So like, that's all Hunter, that's all him. And like his ability to stay focused and work on all those things on and off the field and consistently trying to get better all the time. And it's finally worked out for him. It's all coming together. So it's, it's really exciting. Absolutely. I have to ask what has the impact of Hunter Brown's success been on your career? Cause as a young scout, first pitcher you sign having it be a guy like this who goes out and has the success he does, does it give you more confidence in your abilities? Yeah, I, yeah, for sure. No doubt. I think the, the biggest thing, honestly, is like you just remember like what you saw and like it just helps a little bit now going forward where the, I, was, I think it was 21. Yeah, the 21 draft when we draft, we, we took Chase McDermott. I, I saw Chase and I was like, God, this is like Hunter Brown. Like that, that, I'm getting that same type of feeling, like the way the fastball came out of the hand, the stuff or like, I, I'm getting like, I remember writing in my report, like I'm giddy writing this because it's the same like feeling I got when I saw Hunter Brown for the first time. So like, I think that's been the, honestly, the biggest thing for me is like, I, I just want to find guys that are similar to this, that give me the same feeling, that give me that same gut feel. So um, just helping me go forward it, it, for for my first year, it was unbelievable. Um, unbelievable helped me going forward and jump started. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we talk about Hunter being a, a D2 guy, Chase uh, out of Ball State, a mid-major. I have to ask, you know, your, your background as a D3 guy, do you like hunting for the guys that are a little below the radar, you know, the D3s, the D2s, the mid-majors? Yeah, I, I, I do, just because, like, I know they're good. Like, I, I I think that's scouting. Like, that's, like, they're they're not, like, the famous LSU guys. They're not the, you know, big, you know, SEC guys, like, that we all know. It, you got to go scout. You got to go see those guys. You got to work for them. Right. You got to like dig a little bit more on those guys. So I, I think that's like, I enjoy that part the, those are the, you know, and if you hit on it, like Hunter, you can look like a genius with it too as well. So, um, but you know, Hunter was no like, like under the radar guy, but I, I do like hunting these like smaller school, mid major guys that are, you know, a little bit, you know, behind the eight ball or behind in, in, you know, coaching or development and don't have the resources. I, I do like those kind of guys and, and they're willing to work really hard for it because you know, they're, they just haven't had much. So. Yeah. I mean, you talk about Hunter, right? Work to construction, you know, division two guy to local school and that work ethic in a lot of ways has helped carry him through. And you did a great job uncovering that Scott, thank you so much for joining us. Congratulations on all your early career success. And we look forward to seeing more to come. Thank you. Thank you. Once again, that was 
Scott Oberhelman, Astros Midwest Area Scout, the signing scout for Astros right-hander Hunter Brown. Again, really cool story there uh, going from Division Three pitcher who was an intern scouting in the Cape Cod League, uh, first for the Wareham Gateman and then the Oakland A's, to getting his first job at 22 years old scouting for the Astros and in his very first year as a scout, uh, signing third-round pick Jordan Brewer and signing, of course, fifth-round pick Hunter Brown, who's now a prime contender for the American League Rookie of the Year Award. Uh, once again, just a really cool story, and uh, we're happy to have Scott join us. This has been another episode of Behind the Plate, a podcast presented by Baseball America. Go ahead and give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Scott Oberhelman, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. See you next week.